0: You're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 5 of my Genesis podcast. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma, for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Our subject is Abraham and the origin of the Jewish nation. All right, we have been going through the book of Genesis, and last week we were in chapter 11 looking at the Tower of Babel. It was only nine verses. So today, I hope you're not getting whiplash. Instead of focusing in, zooming in, we're going to zoom out and look at an overview of a story that took decades and takes up ten chapters So now we're ready for uh, an explanation of the beginning of the Jewish nation and the reason for all that. You know that in chapter 3 of Genesis, when we read about the disobedience of Adam and Eve, that God promised them that one day the seed of the woman would strike the head of the serpent. And so... As that has been passed down, they're waiting for the seed of the woman, seed of the woman, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming, a Savior. So here we are now. It's about 1800 BC. And we suddenly are introduced to a very rich man who is married to his half-sister. They have the same father whose name is Terah. And they are descendants of the son of Noah that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, whose name was Shem. There was Shem, and there was Ham, and there was Japheth. And so he was a descendant of Shem. So we'll call this part one, the son of Shem. They lived kind of like the modern-day Bedouins, and so they had herds and flocks, and tents and they would go from place to place in the scrubby area wherever they could find pasture. So imagine a man so rich that he has hundreds and hundreds of employees. At one point, we read that he had to go to war to rescue his uh, nephew, Lot, and he was able to put together from his own household 300 men of military age. So when you consider all the women and the older and younger ones, along with that, you can see but he had quite an enterprise going there. So let's go to the end of the uh, 11th chapter of Genesis, right after that story of Babel, and we'll get the hint of just beginning now, This is the account of Terah's family line. So you finish the story of the Tower of Babel, and they're going to remind you of what happened with the descendants of Shem and Ham and Japheth. And they go down the line of Shem, and we come to Terah, and it says Terah became the father of Abram. Abram's name meant mighty father. These people were idol worshipers, and let me remind you, there is no Jewish nation. There is no Ten Commandments, there is no uh, church, there are no established priests of the Lord, and everything that is known about God has been passed down by word of mouth. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and what they're not explaining there is that his daughter-in-law was also his daughter. So this was a lot of inbreeding here. There weren't any laws against it. God had not spoken about incest because there's no Old Testament. And so Abram is married to Sarai. And by the way, it's thought that her name either may mean princess like her later name Sarah or that particular old name of hers, Sarai, meant quarrelsome. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived to be 205 and died there in Haran. So let me show you what on earth we're talking about. You see over here in what is now modern day Iraq, just a little bit to the north and west of the Persian Gulf, there is Ur with the red uh, square there. So that is where they were from and at some point, apparently because Abram got this commandment from God that you're getting ready to read about in Genesis 12, we come up, and they decide they're going to go settle in this land of Canaan, but they only make it as far as Haran, so this would probably be uh, what later became Assyria, not too far from Nineveh. You remember uh, Jonah preached to Nineveh, but they were in Haran, and that's where Terah, Abram's father, died. And where they're really supposed to be headed to, you know, is what is now the nation of Israel down there in the land of Canaan. The Lord had said to Abram, so see, we come to chapter 12, and this is old news. God has already said this to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all people, peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So remember, we're still waiting for the seed of the woman to crush the serpent's head. We're still waiting on this Savior or this Messiah. So this is the next installment of God's plan. He's going to shine a little bit more light on the path to the Savior. And he's telling Abram, I'm going to create a nation out of you. Well, this rich Now getting to be an older man, even though they had longer lifespans in that day, apparently, was childless and married to his half-sister. And let me remind you again, same map, he is ready now to go south and west down to the land of Canaan, as he had been told before, and he's got this promise from God. So years go by, and he has obeyed God, and he's come down to Canaan, and other things have happened in between that we don't have time to dwell on today, but there hasn't been any explanation about how God is going to make this childless couple into the father and mother of a nation. So we get three chapters away to Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So it's not like he's hearing from God every day. There's a whole lot of really ordinary days where there's no message from God, and you just get up in the morning and do what you had planned to do. And that would remind me of our lives. Our lives might be punctuated by these special or extraordinary experiences, but most of living for God is just the day-to-day, put one foot in front of another. So now he gets this vision, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Sometimes we forget about the real reward of being Christians is just having him. He's the reward. It's not that, well, if I serve him, he'll give me this and that and the other thing. If you serve him, he'll give you him, and that is all you need. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? So he's apparently been thinking about the fact that he was told back in chapter 12, that he was going to be the father of a nation. And he's thinking about how there doesn't seem to be any way he's ever going to really have children. And he's thinking about his legacy and his uh, estate and who that will go down to. And he's thinking about this man who has charge of his whole household that he trusts so much. And he's thinking, well, that would be the most likely person to pass all of this down to. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Object lessons are so effective when teaching. People don't want to just hear blathering. They want to see a picture. They want you to show them what it's going to be like. So the Lord says, come outside and look up in the sky. And I don't know if you've been outside at night, any place where there's not a lot of ambient lighting lately. It's harder and harder to find those places. But if you ever go out to the lake or go camping or something, and you look up in the sky, it is remarkable how many untold thousands of stars you can even see with a naked eye and one of the arms of our galaxy makes the milky way you know and it's dizzying how many stars there are and god says that's what it's going to be like to try to count your offspring and here's this old man with no kids and here we have an important key uh, sentence at the end, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness, the righteousness that comes by faith. God's grace and your faith—that's how we're saved today. Looks to me like that's how you were saved back then. God's grace, and that would come, of course, through the blood of Christ and the cross. But it was in the future. For us, it's in the past, but for him, it was in the future. But still, God's grace and his faith. So that's part one, the son of Shem, a descendant of Noah, the son of Terah. All right, so now we come to part two, and it's the story of Abram trying in his own efforts to have this future that God had already promised him. So... Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, imagine that the wheels are starting to turn in her mind, and when Hagar is around her and serving her, she seems like such a sweet girl, and she's so pretty, and Sarai is thinking, yeah, big old pretty brown eyes, and I bet she's fertile, and she's never going to have any opportunity to get married, and... I wonder if I could just have my husband take her as a second wife and we'll adopt. In other words, surrogacy, same thing people do now. If they're childless, they think, well, maybe I could get a surrogate little lower tech in those days, but it worked. And so she came to her husband and said, the Lord has kept me from having children go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, in her defense, the Lord had never said anything specifically to Abram about, through Sarah, I am going to bring this son. And there was certainly nothing against their culture or the law that he knew that would say you shouldn't have more than one wife. He was a very rich man, and he could well afford to support all of these uh, uh, children or wives that he would have wanted to have. So Abram's thinking, well, God's promised, and this is a way to that goal, and my wife is okay with it. So Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived Now, this is a long time after the original promise. He was 75 when he was given the original promise from God, you're going to be the father of a nation. And now he's 86. The thing is, though, sometimes people change. And Hagar, the sweet, submissive girl who, your wish is my command to Sarai, After she is elevated to this status of second-class wife or concubine, and this rich, rich man is now paying attention to her, not that you would have wanted to have been married to an old man, but still, wow, now I can have a child. My future has changed, and my status goes way up if my child is the son of the rich boss. And uh, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. We already believe that Sarai means quarrelsome or contentious. So Sarah or Sarai, she might have been kind of a crab at times and a little difficult to live with. And uh, it's a little hard to take when you see this young woman who's already kind of taken your place in some sense, easily conceive When it starts to dawn on her, not that she had a modern pregnancy test and knew two weeks after conception, but still, doesn't take too long as the weeks go by for you to figure out that you're carrying a child, she starts to think, well, hmm, I've got something you don't have. Maybe I'm just a little bit better in some ways, even than my rich boss. And her attitude is just a little too arrogant for her real position. And that just goes all over Sarah, who was a little prone to be contentious anyway, perhaps. And then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. So she's blaming her husband. Maybe he was a little bit too kind, too compassionate, too loving, too sweet, too romantic with this young girl. Maybe it should have been more like a business transaction. But whatever, she's going to blame him. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. He didn't want any trouble. He's just going along to get along. And then Sarai mistreated Hagar. And doesn't that hurt your heart? This girl didn't ask for this. And here she is pregnant, and now she's getting yelled at or punished or beat on. I don't know what was done to her, but it was mean and it wasn't right. And so she fled from her. She runs away. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, in the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Now do you think that this question was being asked because the angel was wondering, where are you going and where have you come from? Or are these rhetorical questions so that she can think about her life? And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where are you coming from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, go back. Sometimes the Lord asks us to do really difficult things that we don't understand. This is not fair. I didn't ask for this. I can't live in those conditions. This is abusive. Good grief, I'm pregnant. I can't take beatings. Go back and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. You mean God cared for Hagar? Yes, He did. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him God Listens. Isn't that beautiful? Ishmael, Ishmael, God Listens. For the Lord has heard of your misery. So it wasn't just as though the Lord had this plan for Abram and Sarai. And that's what he was going to bless. He also saw this slave girl from Egypt who kind of had an arrogant attitude when she shouldn't have. And he heard the distress of her heart when she cried. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he'll live in hostility toward all his brothers. Let me just tell you something about this boy. He's going to be a type A personality and he's also going to be a rebel and kind of hard to take care of. But God listens. You name him, God listens. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. So he's already told her he's the God who listens, and in fact, so you'll always remember that, be sure and name your boy God Listens, and she knows that he doesn't just listen, he also sees, and she feels that attention that he is putting on an Egyptian slave girl, and she calls him. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I've now seen the one who sees me. And that's why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. That's what that means. It's still there between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son. The day came. She went into labor. They called the midwife maybe. You could hear her screaming in the other room. And hours and hours. And Abram stood outside the door and he anxiously waited And he wondered about his boy, and he knew what God had said. Surely she had shared it. And Sarai was there, and Sarai was kind of planning on adopting this boy, you know. Finally, you hear some crying, and you know the baby's been born. Maybe a tear was going down Abram's cheek. Abram gave the name God hears to the son she had born. Abram was 86. All right, so it's been 11 or 12 years since God made the original promise, and now they have this son. And things are okay between Hagar and Sarai as much as can be, but that was son of the slave. Now we come to son of the promise. The Lord appeared to Abraham. By the way, we've had to uh, skip through these 10 chapters that we're covering. So, Let me uh, remind you that in between here, there's some really important things. God eventually comes to Abraham again and reaffirms, I am going to give you a son through your wife, Sarai. And I want you not to be called mighty father anymore. I want you to be called father of a multitude, not Abram, but Abraham. And Sarai, I don't want her to be called quarrelsome. I want her to be called princess. And I want you to have a blood covenant with me. And so I want you to circumcise all the males in your family from now on. And this is to be an eternal thing. You're always to remember this blood covenant sets apart you all as worshipers of me. And so Ishmael, God hears, and Abram were circumcised. And Abram was in his late 90s by now. So now we come to son of the promise, part three, and we're clear up now to Genesis chapter 18, started in the end of uh, chapter uh, 11 today. So we're making progress. The Lord appeared to Abraham, father of a multitude. Okay, please. He's got one boy by a servant girl, father of a multitude. Yes, we speak by faith and we know that God will do what he said he would do. The Lord appeared to Father of a Multitude near the great tree of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Father of a Multitude looked up and saw three men standing nearby, and some scholars see a type of the Trinity in this. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. Well, there's lots of details in there we might not have time to talk about, but bottom line, he offered to fix them a meal as was the custom, even though they were strangers. And he asked his wife, Princess Sarah, to get that ready and to slaughter a fattened calf. And then there was this important conversation that followed all this fellowship. One of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Princess, your wife, will have a son. Well, she's listening. And it seems impossible to her. She's nearly 90 years old, an 89-year-old woman. And she thinks it's kind of funny, and she laughs. And they accuse her of laughing, and she says, No, no, I didn't laugh. And they said, Oh, yes, you did. You laughed. This is uh, an actual Wimbrandt. It was painted in 1646, and it's called Abraham Serving the Three Angels. And so you can see that one of those, the speaker, is in lighter paint than the others. You can see Abraham listening, and you can see on the right side, Sarah behind the door as she laughs. But we get to chapter 21, and it's finally here after all these years. That original promise was 24 years ago when the man was 75 And his wife was 66 or something, and now she's 90, and he's 99. The Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, gracious, God's grace, salvation is by grace. And they believed that God would do what he said he would do, by grace through faith, as they agree to become the line through which the Savior would come and they look forward to that one who would crush the head of the serpent that was promised back in Genesis 3 by grace through faith. The Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had promised and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. What was that process like? Could she feel herself getting younger or was it sort of an instantaneous change that happened in a day? I don't know. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to father of a multitude in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Wow. So suddenly it begins to dawn on her that she's actually conceived. She's feeling different. Weeks and weeks and months go by, and one day she feels the movement. Quickening, they used to call that. They thought that's when the baby actually became alive. Maybe she talked to Hagar about what to expect or what was happening to her. Maybe sometimes she could even look down and see through her skin, the baby kicking. And this is almost too much to believe. And Abraham gave the name Laughter to the son Sarah had born to him, Isaac. Laughter. When his son Laughter was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Blood covenant, this was God's command, son of promise. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You know, I don't think they were laughing because it was funny. I think they were laughing because it was joyful. Oh, have you ever been so happy about something that instead of smiling, you laughed? That kind of joy didn't come every day, but oh, God does send it. I love this painting. That's not grandpa there. That's dad. And this one, that's not great-grandma. Holding her son, uh, her great grandson. That's Mama. On the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Okay, so this would have been a couple, three years later, maybe. And they're celebrating that this boy is maturing and now he's just eating table food. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham, you know, God listens. Remember Ishmael was mocking. So there was this conflict. And this mama bear rancor rises up in her. And she's also a prophetess of sorts. And she understands something about the future of her son and God's plan for him. And she pulls Abraham aside, father of a multitude, and she said, get rid of that slave woman and her son. She's basically saying, you have to get a divorce. I'm not putting up with this. I'm not having that boy in my house anymore. Now, that boy was probably 14, 15 by now, because he was born when Abraham was 86. And Abraham is, was 100 when, when uh, Isaac was born. And then a couple of years have gone by. So he's basically what would be considered an adult, able on his own. But still, oh my goodness, the pain for Abraham. This is his son too. He doesn't quit loving God here just because laughter has been born. Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. That is an important statement that reverberates through the generations and has a very important symbolic meaning, which we will look at shortly. The matter distressed Abraham greatly. Oh, hand-wringing. He didn't want to upset Sarah. He's always been one to pretty much do whatever she wanted within reason. But, oh, send Hagar away with the boy? But God said to him, don't be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So are we just casting this other boy away and we don't care about him and God couldn't care less? No, we're not. And God is gracious. I'll make the son of a slave into a nation also because he's your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. Wait a minute. What about bags of money? You're really rich. Why not give them enough to take care of them for the next 20 years? No, the inheritance belongs to laughter. That's what God has said. So he set them on her shoulders. And this boy is a big teenager, maybe an 11th or 12th grader by our standards. And don't you know there were tears in his eyes? And don't you know he hugged that boy? And don't you know Hagar was worried? He set them on her shoulders and then set her off with the boy. And she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Well, what does she know about camping out on her own and surviving with no creature comforts at all? I mean, yeah, she was a slave, but she came from the lap of luxury and... Abraham had everything that anybody could want. And so sure enough, they get out there in their naivete. They weren't exactly uh, scouts that knew what to do. And they run out of water. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy down under one of the bushes. Apparently, he was affected more than her at first. And he's getting so dehydrated he can't even walk. And then she went off and sat down, about a bowshot away, for she thought, I can't watch the boy die. This is sorrow of heart. And she began to sob. Wait a minute. I thought God hears. I thought God sees. You better believe he does. God heard again. A decade and a half or more later, God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called the Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard. The boy crying as he lies there, lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink, and God was with the boy as he grew up. In fact, you can skip ahead to chapter 25 and find out that he lived to be 137 years old, and he had at least 12 kids, probably had a bunch of daughters, too, that aren't mentioned, but he had 12 sons, and they all did well. And he apparently stayed in touch with laughter and with father of a multitude, because we read that when Abraham finally died decades and decades later, after Sarah had died, and after he had married another woman and had six more sons... It was Isaac and this boy, God hears, that buried Abraham. God took care of him. But the reason he was sent away was for a real important point that we might understand. And that's not fully explained for everyone until we get to the New Testament. So now we come to sons of the covenants. And the Apostle Paul, who was an Old Testament scholar and lawyer, you know, and who wrote many of the New Testament books, says to us in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, for it's written that father of a multitude had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. In other words, so they have this idea that salvation is coming, and so Abram says, let me see. I think I can make this happen. And so he has a boy with a slave woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. You know, like sometimes people say, okay, I need to be saved. So maybe if I do all the right things and I'm good enough, I can be saved. I can be saved in my own strength. I can be saved by works. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women Are two covenants, what women? Oh yeah, Hagar and Sarah. One is from Mount Sinai. You know, Mount Sinai, where in the book of Exodus that comes after Genesis, the law is going to be given to Moses. Bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, that doesn't mean that the Jewish people are the children of slavery. It means that all of the people, Jew or Gentile, who decide that they're going to try to please God by being good enough, I can follow these commands, and when I die, if I'm good enough, I'll go to heaven. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above... You know, heaven is free, and she is our mother. And so now he's going to quote to you from one of the major prophets, Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 1. He goes back to Isaiah's promise about the Messiah. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate will be more than those of the one who has a husband. In other words, hey, Sarah. Unfertile one who went through your whole marriage almost without ever having any children and then got to be old. So you're doubly infertile. Not only are you infertile when you're young, but now you're old. Now you can rejoice because your descendants are going to be so numerous. And this is by promise. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are the children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. You know, there was conflict on the day of the weaning party. There's teenage Ismael over there going, that dumb baby, he's never going to mount to anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sarah says, No, we're not having conflict. This is not going to happen. I'm not having that boy in my house. I'm having the boy of promise. You get rid of him. So also is it now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Remember me telling you that that was a really important symbolic statement? In other words, You cannot get to God by works. You have to be saved by grace through faith. It's through God's promise, not because you could manage to be good. So, brothers, we're not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Praise his holy name. So what on earth was the point of these 10 chapters that we went over today? Abraham's sons, God hears in laughter, represent two ways that people approach God. Some try for acceptance by Him in their own strength, but some, by faith in His promise, receive His grace and come to Him. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please pass it along.